This past week, I had uh, come across a new term by listening to a radio broadcast, uh, a term I'd never been introduced to before, but uh, after finding out the, the meaning of it, understood it entirely because it fits uh, the description of the way I see things very often. That term is functional fixedness. It's a mental block that we have that only allows an object to be used for the intended purpose, and that's it. Like, give me, let me give you an example. If someone needs a paperweight because the wind is blowing and their paper's flying around and there's a hammer next to the paper, many times they don't think, I can use the hammer as the paperweight because the hammer's made to hammer nails. It's not made to weigh down paper. So a study's been done. Of course a study's been done, right? I'm sure hundreds of thousands of dollars of federal money was involved to get this study done as to why we think this way and when it is that we start to think this way when we lock in that an object can only have one function and it can't go beyond that at all. And they discovered in that study that at about the age of five years old, we think outside of the box. Like you ever seen a five-year-old? They act like MacGyver, right? Every, anything can be used for everything. But at the age of seven, We've already associated what can be used for what and what can't be used for what. And so we, we limit the use of objects that we come in contact with. Uh, let me give you just some examples of what true functional fitness, fixness is and people have broken free. Honey, I need a mixer and it's broken. Uh, I can just see the man going to his garage. I've got a power drill and some scissors. Here you go, dear. That's, that's living outside of functional fixness, Right? Some of you guys really know how to do this with bailing wire and, and other things. I need a leaf blower. Well, we don't have one. I'll just grab the fan out from the bedroom and we'll use that. How about that? How about this idea of functional fixedness? Uh, you know, I, I need a cup holder. My truck didn't come with a cup holder, but I got a C-clamp and some masking tape. There we go. That works, right? Some of you are like, that's a good idea. I'm going to go home today and do that. <laughs> How about this one? Hey, did you bring the coffee, the, 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 the coffee pot to warm up the hot dogs? What? That doesn't make, that, that looks disgusting, doesn't it? We saw that picture this morning. We said, that's gross. I can't imagine what the coffee's going to taste like later. Someone said, the coffee? How about the hot dog? All right. How about this one? Boys, you broke the rim how many times? Okay, finally, you're going to get what you deserve, right? I guess in some ways, it's good for number two in more ways than one. Shooting hoops and shouldn't use that one next service, maybe? No. I bring this up, functional fixedness, because I think sometimes uh, this applies to us. We look at our life and we say, I've got two arms and they're attached to me and I've got two hands that are attached to those arms and so they must be for me. We don't see how they can be used for anything else. But me, I've got a mouth and, and every time I see that it's attached to my face when I look in the mirror and so it must be to promote me. It must be to announce the good things that I'm doing, or I've got a paycheck and it's got my name on it and it must be just for me, for the things that I can buy and the things I can, I've earned it. It must, it, and what it does is it limits us and we have this functional fixedness that stays to us and we have this mental block that we can't move through. And, and guys, this goes on and on and on with our time and our energy. It continues on that we just don't see how these things can be used for any other greater purpose than for ourselves. Well, let me just say first off that none of this is our own stuff. 
right? Our possessions aren't our own. Our finances aren't our own. Our time's not our own. Our energy's not our own. Our dollars and cents are not even our own. The time that we have on earth is not even our own. It's really God's. And we call that principle stewardship in the church. It means that you are a careful and responsible manager of what God has entrusted to you. He's entrusted these things to you. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts. All of you have been blessed with one of God's wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. You catch it? In the service of others. So use your gifts what? Use them Use them well. Like, do good with the things that God's put into your life. Let's get an understanding of this by looking at the example of Jesus, shall we? Turn with me to John chapter 13. The Gospel of John in your New Testament is page 874 in the chair rack in front of you. And let me give you the setting while you're turning there. It's the night before Jesus is executed on the cross. He goes to that cross, by the way, willingly because he has you and me in mind and he knows that we have a sin problem. And the only way the sin problem can be defeated is by... His blood, his life being perfectly sacrificed for our sins. And he's hanging out with 12 of his closest friends. There's friends that have been following him for three and a half years. And they're in this upper room. And before he gives himself over to death, Jesus wants to show them the extent of his love. Let's look at John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now skip on down to verse 14, if you would. Move down there, just towards the end of this uh, heading. He says in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord, and so he washes the disciples' feet. And he washes the disciples' feet, and he has this embarrassing act, a very humbling act of kindness for them, uh, an act that only the homeowner would do, but even if the homeowner had a slave, he'd make the slave do it. It was, it, was, it was not the act for God's son to be doing. Look at verse 14. He says, Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, look, he's not saying that the best way to serve others is to wash feet. He's saying, I've lowered myself to the status of a servant, and that's what you need to be doing also. Verse 16, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. We know that the greatest teachers are are the ones that serve their students. We know that the greatest physicians are the ones that serve their patients. We know that the greatest managers are the ones that serve their employees. And Jesus says, if you want to climb high on the ladder of success, you've got to learn how to get low in life. You have, to have, you have to have this humility about yourself. I want us to walk out of here today knowing two things. I want us to walk out of here knowing that serving Christ is at the core of the foundations that we're talking about in this series. Serving Christ, the church, and the community are at the core of the foundations that we're talking about. But I also want you to know that serving is at the very heart of God. It's who God is. He's a giving, gracious God. And you can know all the doctrine of the Bible, and you can know all the memorized scripture you can think of, and you, you can know all these things about the faith, but if you, if you don't follow the example of Jesus Christ and become a servant, you don't know anything about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. 
Serving is where the rubber meets the road of all these other foundations that we talked about. It puts all these head knowledge and heart knowledge into action. And the Bible wasn't intended to be studied. The Bible was intended to be lived out. And Jesus gives us this great example. So here's what Jesus teaches us. Here's what his actions teach us that night. Is that a servant puts service over status. He puts service over status. You know, God's uniquely created you to serve. You know that, right? Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You're created to do some good things with the abilities and giftedness that God's put into your life, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Not only are you to do good works, God's put some things ahead of you, some people in place in front of you that you're to do good with. It could be that neighbor, could be that grandmother, it could be your spouse, it could be some children, it could be things in this church, it could be all sorts of good things that God's laid out for you to do in advance of your service. You were created to serve God and you were created to serve others. You were put on this earth to make a contribution. You weren't put here just to consume. You were put here to reach out and to serve God and to serve others. And the most fulfilling people on earth are those people that have learned that. They've learned that life is not about them, that it's really about others. And and research has proven this, that if you want to be happy, you start volunteering your time and you start giving your resources to something that's bigger than yourself. And they say, psychologically, that's the key to happiness is to labor for the happiness of others. I mean, Jesus, he was on to something, wasn't he? When you start putting service over status, I mean, God has designed us uniquely to serve. And when we serve, we know we're doing good. I mean, here's Job. Job is at his wit's end. His life is miserable. And he looks to God and he cries out and he says in Job chapter 10, your hands shaped me and your hands made me. Your hands shaped me and they made me. And let me just take a look at that word shape because Rick Warren comes up with a pretty good idea of how God shaped us. He uses that word and he turns it into this process of understanding how God has uniquely qualified us to serve others. If anybody's a Christian in this room, you've been given God's spirit and you have spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts are there to build up God's church, not the community, God's church. And so if you're a Christian, you've got a spiritual gift. How about heart? Everybody has heart. Sometimes we refer to that as passion. Uh, He refers to it as heart. How about abilities? We all have different abilities. Some of us have some of the same abilities, but we do them differently. That's because we have personality. You know, God wants to use your personality. He really does. Your personality is important to God. He's distinctly designed you with your personality because every voice has a different persuasion. And he needs your personality to persuade others to come to his son, Jesus Christ. How about experiences? All of us have different experiences. And see, you can see how God has shaped you uniquely, different than anybody else. And he's done that so that you can reach out with your hands and serve others because that's the best way that we can serve God. And so what Jesus taught us that night was a servant puts service over status. But he also, he also puts character above comfort. That's what Jesus showed us that night too. His actions that night when he decide, washed the disciples' feet demonstrated that his character, his character was above his comfort. He was going to put character above comfort. And uh, I think there are some things that stop us from doing that from putting the character of Christ above comfort. We want to we live like Christ, but sometimes we're just too comfortable to step outside ourselves to do that. And let me give you a, a few barriers. Number one is self-centeredness. Self-centered. Scripture 
gives us a way to overcome this barrier, and it just simply tells us, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. When you see a need in front of you, meet the need in front of you. When you see someone that's in help, walk over and help them. Think of others more than you think of yourself. I mean, forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. When you hear about a ministry in this church that's struggling for volunteers and you feel God calling you to do it, you just jump into it and and you know God will reward you for that. There's opportunities that he's laid ahead of you to get involved in. I like how Proverbs puts it, gives us this advice. Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. Like, don't put it off. God's prearranged that thing in front of you, like Ephesians said, and you can do some good works because it's prearranged in front of you. Servant-hearted people have, have to force themselves to be selfless. Let me tell you how John Wesley did it, famous preacher of the Wesleyan Church. He said, do all, all the good you can by all the means you can, by all the ways you can, and all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. John Wesley's like, I'm going to go forget myself, and at every moment of the day, I'm going to strive to think of others in the way I can help those in the world that's around me. The barrier to overcome to become someone that puts Christ's character above your own comfort is self-centeredness, overcome the barrier. Here's another barrier, perfectionism. You know, I hear people say, well, you know, I'd love to help out, but if I can't do it first class, I'm not gonna do it at all. You know, there's a Greek word for that, baloney. I mean, just step out and do something, right? That's what God wants. He wants those to step out and then God will start making things happen through, he wants your faith step first and then he'll do greater things through you i also hear people say you know when my schedule calms down or when i get enough money or when i finally retire or when my kids finally get old enough to drive then i'll be able to serve christ the church and and you know what that's never going to happen i like how solomon puts it in the book of ecclesiastes he says if you wait for perfect conditions you'll never get anything done (laughs) think just think about that If you wait for perfect conditions, you're not going to get anything accomplished for God's kingdom. Here's the third barrier, and it's materialism. Jesus had taught us in the book of Luke, beware and guard against every kind of greed. Life, let's say this together because I I need to hear this. Life is not measured by how much you own. Uh, Easier said than done, right? Uh, We can get so preoccupied with possessions that we, we lose our heart for people. I know some of you in this room, you're not working because you enjoy work. You're working so that you can finance the wants and needs that you have in your life. I like how Dave Ramsey says, says it. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. <laughs> and what happens is we get so consumed with materialism. And we, we think about all the things we want to have. We think about all the things we have. And we think about all the things that we still have to pay for that we have. And then it locks us into this idea of when someone comes and says, hey, I'm really struggling financially, can you help? You say, well, you know what, I'd like to, but we have all of our money wrapped up into something else that we don't need, but with money we don't have to impress people we don't even really like. Or we we really need your help to volunteer for something. You say, well, I'd really like to volunteer for something, but I have to work this job, and that job consumes my time, and I'm working this job because I, I need to pay off things I don't need with money I don't have to impress people I don't like. That's materialism. 
That's greed. That's envy all coming down at once. And it's a terrible continual circle that we get ourselves involved in. We've got to fight this barrier of self-centeredness, of perfectionism, of materialism. And just say, God, here I am. Would you, would you use me to serve you and to serve this church and to serve this community? Friends, it is, it is time to start serving the Lord. It's time. It doesn't matter how much you've done in the past or what you plan to do. Right now is the perfect opportunity to start serving Christ and putting His character first over your comforts. Here's the third thing we've learned is that a servant puts we over me. Turn to John chapter 5 and let's discover this together. Here's this story of Jesus at what's called the Pool of Bethsaida. He has just entered the city of Jerusalem and he's gone through a gate of the city walls and there sits this pool. It's a pool where people had, had hung around because they believed at some kind of superstition that an angel stirred the waters up and if they could be the first one in the pool when the angel stirred the water, then they would be healed. Now everybody's looking for the miracle cure, right? We're looking for the fountain of youth. People are looking who have cancer for that special miracle cure drug that maybe can enhance their life or cure them of cancer well these folks were looking for a cure for whatever ailment or disease or or problem they had and if they could just roll into the pool then they would be healed as is their belief so here we are john chapter 5 verse 2 now there is in jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in aramaic is called Bethsaida, which means let me tell you what it means house of mercy it's so applicable House of mercy. God have mercy on me. Which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So you can see that there's some patios there. Verse three. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. John, John tells us about this and he says that probably this is not happening anymore when John writes this. They've wised up that this was just a superstition. And he says they used to lie there, but they don't lie in there. And so John sets the stage who's around the pool. Who's around the pool? A great number of disabled people, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, John could, I think, easily have said the ostracized. He could have just said the people that society didn't want to deal with. I think that's what he could have. He could have just said, these are the people that you didn't want knocking on your door because you wouldn't take care of them. This is not the people that you'd want as your neighbor because you wouldn't have the heart to take them in. And that's why they're at the pool because they are at the last desperate spot of of hope. You don't go to the pool as your first option for healing. You go to the pool of Bethsaida because it's your last option of hope. All of hope has been extinguished in their life and they're just hoping that they can roll off into it and be the first one in if the waters ever seemed to stir. And everyone wants to believe that there's a miracle cure. And so here's this guy in verse five. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. 38 years. 38 years this guy has been disabled. I don't know if he's been by the poolside for 38 years. It's quite possible. The text kind of implies that. But let me just say it like this. If a servant is we over me, looks for we over me, then let's look at Jesus did. Jesus looked for those that were overlooked. That's how we promote we over me. And notice the, ter- the word saw, Jesus saw the man. I mean, he was perceptive enough to see a man that was in need. And he says, I'm, I'm going to help this man out. Why he chose that man out of a crowd of thousands, I have no idea. I do know this, that in this world, Jesus says, the poor will always be amongst us. We have to remember that, that you are not going to be able to help every single person out in this world. 
but you need to start helping at least one person out. And that's what Jesus is telling us. You're not going to help everybody at the pool, but you need to focus in and see one person that you can start serving, that you can start being Jesus to. And at this pool, there's a great number of people. You know, part of my daily prayer is that I would see the needs of those that are around me and then act to meet those needs. Because my problem is I see the needs, but I don't act to meet those needs. And I want to be like Jesus, to have my eyes wide open and see those that are hurting physically, spiritually, emotionally, and jump into their problem. Look at verse 6. Jesus asked this invalid, do you want to get well? Don't you think that's like an understatement for a man who's been hurt for 38 years? <laughs> do you want to get well? So verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Now, before we go further, let me just point out a phrase that I think is, is vitally important to this story. It's the phrase that's, that's, that's put into a question. Jesus asks a man, do you want to get well? Which really does it a, a disservice because in the Greek, it really says, do you want to be made whole? That's different. Jesus just isn't asking this man, do you want your body to be made complete? Because the word invalid means that he has a disability. Like, do you want your legs straightened out so you can walk again? That's not what Jesus is asking. He's asking this man, do you want your, your body, your soul, and your spirit to be renewed? That's a different question, isn't it? Then do you want your legs straightened out? Do you want your soul straightened out? Do you want your spirit straightened out? And that's what Jesus is asking. Because the word invalid in this text means powerless. It means powerless. And Jesus recognizes that this man is powerless. And that's the image I love what Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says about us who are powerless. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Like, we couldn't do anything about our problem, our condition. We were powerless. In a sense, like, we're all sitting around the pool. You know, we're, we're this guy, and we're just waiting for someone to help. And Jesus sees us, and he says, you're powerless to rescue yourself from sin. And he asks, do you want to be made? Do you want to be made whole? I'm not talking about getting your financial house in order. I'm not talking about having your cancer cured. I'm not talking about getting your kids back in your life. I'm I'm talking about having your sins forgiven. Do you want that? Because that's the biggest problem you have in life. And and so when this guy is saying, I I just want to get in the pool, Jesus is saying, you got it all wrong, man. You're seeing your situation in the wrong scope. Look at verse 7. He says, I've got no one to help me into the pool. Jesus, I want to get well. I just, I don't have anybody to help push me into the pool. And while I'm trying to get in, someone gets ahead of me. And and he's still thinking, if I could just get in the pool, I'm going to be healed. And Jesus says, oh man, get up, pick up your, I don't know if he said it like that. That's my translation. Oh, get up, pick up your mat. Come on, brother. You don't need the pool is what Jesus is getting. I like James Vernon McGee. James Vernon McGee, popular preacher, now passed away, still on the radio. Here's what he said about this parable. The the Lord Jesus had no intention of getting this man into the pool. He is going to get him out of it and away from it. He didn't want him in the pool. The pool's not going to help him. The pool is the wrong solution to his problem. Do you catch that? The pool is the wrong solution to this man's problem. What's the solution to this man's problem? It's Jesus. Jesus is the solution to the man's problem. And Jesus acts out serving to this man 
So he looked for those who were overlooked. Here's the second thing he did. He looked to meet the spiritual needs and not just the physical needs. Friends, the spiritual needs of people are far more important than the physical needs that we have. And I know that there's people all around us that are saying, I just need to get in the pool. I've got a physical need. But we need to start having the eyes of Christ and saying, your real problem is a spiritual need. When I go home, not home, when I go visit my mother, there is on a local access television, uh, like a public access show, and there is the Reverend Larry Rice. The Reverend Larry Rice has founded and led the New Life Evangelistic Center in the inner city of St. Louis. And he's on every night. You can catch his program, and he wears secondhand suits. He sleeps at the shelter that he helped to promote, and he helps hundreds of men and women find refuge and helps them find jobs and helps them learn life skills and he ministers to the disgrace and the disregarded. Larry Rice says, some would say as we look to the future and the almost overwhelming needs that exist in our community that meeting such a need is an impossibility. I would beg to differ with such fatalists, he says. What I've seen God do during the last 40 years is nothing short of miraculous. He says, hopeless alcoholics have been transformed through the grace of Jesus. Homeless and hopeless men and women have now become productive citizens as they've encountered the Lord of life and let his spirit work through them. The multitudes have been fed and clothed and sheltered and trained and new life has come to people's soul. Here's his theory. I can help people out all day long with food, clothing, and shelter, but their greatest need is not food, clothing, and shelter. Their greatest need is Jesus Christ. Now, don't we all agree with that? We all agree with that. We all agree with that. The greatest need is Jesus Christ. Now, as this congregation gets larger, you have to understand that we become ground zero for everyone that needs help financially for shelter or for clothing or for food. They think big church, deep pockets. And throughout the week, we're solicited for rent money, groceries, room for a night as someone travels through, gasoline, help for utility bills. And our answer is always the same, a uni unity saying from the staff that comes from, we can help you with an immediate $20. And they all look at us and they say, that is not even going to be close to the amount that I need. And then we'll say something like, well, if you need more than that, then you're going to have to listen to what I say. And it kind of heightens their attention. You see, we go off of this principle around here that's found in the book of Acts chapter 3. Uh, Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and John come across a man and he wants money and they say, silver or gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I walk. And we say Bethany Christian Church is not a bank. Bethany Christian Church is a spiritual hospital. And we begin to tell them that you think your solution is $200 for rent, but I'm here to tell you that $2 million wouldn't help your, your situation because your situation is spiritual and the solution is Jesus. Let's start with Jesus first and then we'll help you with this stuff. And some of you are like, isn't that backwards? Shouldn't we be helping first with the physical needs and that gives them an attention to the spiritual things? Silver and gold, we don't have. We're here to promote Christ, to exalt Christ, and to say it's Christ that changes our life. And when our life is changed, it changes the way we perceive our treasure. It changes the way we perceive how we should handle our time. It changes our habits and the money that we want to put into the things of life. And then we'll say, if you're ready to make the next steps with us, we're ready to make the next steps with you and give you some of the silver and gold that's been tithed and offered on behalf of this congregation. 
but you need to make the steps with us about hearing us about Jesus Christ and the solution he is in the life of people. You know, that day at the pool of Bethsaida, there was a man who was there that wanted to be well, and he had no idea that he needed to be whole. You see the difference? He wanted to be well, but he had no idea he needed to be whole, that he needed to be forgiven of sins. He thought he knew the the answer to his situation. But Jesus said, let me give you the real solution to your situation. Jesus is the real solution. And friends, he might have been saved, but he wasn't free from struggle. And we have to remember that. As we serve people, as we help people out, our goal is to show them who Jesus Christ is. That is our goal. Not to get them out of our life with 20 bucks. Not just to simply say, I hope everything goes well. It was, I feel good about it. Our goal is to serve so that others might be saved. That is our goal when we serve. That's the foundation that we're talking about. Serving so that others might be saved. And this man got saved at that pool that day. But he still had struggles. If you go on and continue to read his story, he had all sorts of issues that were in front of him. He was saved, but that didn't mean he was free from struggle. And when it comes to lending a hand at church and serving Christ here at this church, I want you to know that you're not just volunteering to fill a spot. You know what you're doing? You're serving so that others might be saved. That's what you're doing. You're serving so that others might walk into God's kingdom and they might be steered towards Christ's direction because of your warm handshake or because your teaching of the lesson or because of your preparing of some welcoming thing like a hot cup of coffee. And think about all the good you can do in this community to those that are genuinely your neighbor that live next door to you when you serve in such a way that sees them of trying to solve their sin problem with Jesus Christ rather than their financial problem or their lawn problem or their children problem. See, let's serve to save. And some of you are like, you know what? I would love to serve and I would love to help, but it's hard to be a help when you need help. (laughs) Like some of you are in this room today and you're thinking, are you aware of my condition? I'm not. I'm not aware of everyone's condition. And you're thinking, I... I, I, would want, I want to help, but to help, I need help first. And you feel like, I'm, you feel like that invalid almost. Like you're, you're not physically broken, but you're maybe mentally or spiritually broken. You're fatigued. You're just, you're tired. Can I say to you what Christ said to him? Do you want to be whole today? Maybe you're trying to find a solution to your problem in the wrong spot. And And the solution is Jesus Christ. I know some of you are like, well, I'm sure, you know, you can give every reason here. Like, why why you would not immediately want to be better. You could say, well, I'll get better when my finances are under control. I'll make a decision for Christ when my finances. I'll make a decision for Christ when my life settles down. I'll make a decision for Christ when my marriage matures. I'll make a decision for Christ when I start removing the sin out of my life. And Jesus just looks at you and he says, no, 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 no. You're powerless. You're powerless to do these things. And I am the king of kings. And I'm all powerful. You've come to the right source I'm the servant who wants to save you. And maybe today, 
If you answer this question, do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole? You need to be like that one that sat around that pool and you too need to get up. You need to walk right over here. And you need to give your life over to Jesus Christ today.